Hi, welcome to the Ask Pastor Dennis podcast. Uh, it's been a while because of the summer schedule, but we're back on track. We're trying to record uh, more episodes so that you guys would be able to benefit from these questions. Um, this is episode nine, and today we have a question um, that says, Pastor Dennis, you say that people can lose their salvation. The Bible seems to suggest that once you're saved, you will always be saved by the use of words such as adopted, children, and guarantee. Jesus also says that no one will be able to snatch his sheep out of his hands and that he will lose none that are his. As a child of God, I feel like God is not a father that would disown his children. How is it exactly that someone could lose their salvation? Now here's Pastor Dennis with his response. All right. Um, this is a good question and one that I'm pretty fairly passionate about. And the r- a little farther. And the reason I'm um, passionate about this is because I what I see is in the Scripture, I think, um, especially the New Testament authors, are really warning people um, over and over again to do things so that they don't fall away. I, I see that as one of the major themes of the New Testament authors is that they're trying to strengthen and encourage people and get them to do certain things so that they won't fall away. Why? Because that's a major danger. And we see um, them warning, not just them, but but Jesus warns too. So uh, there's a there's a doctrine in, you know, um, in Calvinist theology called Perseverance of the Saints that basically says if you're truly saved, then it's not possible for you to lose your salvation. And that's kind of the line of thinking this question comes from. Um, but I would argue, I really think this is a misunderstanding of these scriptures, and it, and because of that, what it actually teaches is the opposite of what the Bible is trying to teach. And I think I can put together a pretty good case here, um, but we'd really have to dig um, into so many scriptures to, to answer this you know, thoroughly. But uh, I'll, I'll do my best in, in a short amount of time. So, first of all, yes, there is a lot of this language like adopted, children, and guarantee. Um, I, I want us to understand where some of that is coming from. First of all, let's deal with adoption. Adoption, um, when we think of, about adoption, we think about, you know, oh, there, there's an orphan, and out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to adopt them, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them that they're mine, and that I'll never let go of them, and I'll be with them forever. And um, that's kind of the, the heart of adoption that we think about today. But really, when Paul's using this adoption language um, in Romans and in Galatians, um, he's using it in a certain sense that they, that they were familiar with in the ancient world. Especially, he's drawing this analogy from Roman practice. Um, and in ancient Rome, adoption really wasn't like a compassionate thing. That wasn't the, the use of adoption. Um, really, adoption was for the powerful. It was for powerful um, senator families and what you would have is they would adopt um, members of another of another family that were also well off, and these would become their heirs, and they would take on their name, and they would take on their state and their inheritance. And so the idea is, if you had too many sons in ancient Rome, if you were a powerful um, noble class, um, you would often send send out your children for adoption. You know your other sons, because you just wanted you know, one son, right, to take over all of your, your family power and name, you'd become the head of the household and stuff like that. And if you didn't have any sons, then you would adopt um, from another powerful family, and that person would become your heir. And that's the idea that Paul is getting at when it's talking about adoption. It's this idea that we become co-heirs with Christ, right, and that we're, it's really speaking of the rulership that we have. It's not intended to 
communicate this idea of compassion and God is, you know, adopting us in the sense of he's adopting a baby and like, and we can become secure in his love. That Those are all very modern takes on adoption that we're kind of infusing into the passage in a lot of ways, right? This idea of a guarantee, it's very similar. See, Paul's using these things as metaphors, but it's not, you know, the, the nature of a metaphor is that it's it's intended to communicate one essential idea, one essential component, and it's not intended to communicate all the other aspects of the metaphor that wouldn't apply, right? So when we're talking about the guarantee of the Spirit, like, uh, you know, a lot of people hear that and think, oh, the guarantee that I'll be saved forever, right? But really, that is not what is intended to be communicated there. It's the idea, you know, when Paul's talking about predestination, that's the idea that those who are in Christ have been predestined to a great glory, that if we remain in Christ, well, then we can be confident and assured that we have this incredible future ahead of us, right? And that's the sense where he's using it. The Spirit has been given to us as a sign that there's more to come. And the heart of it is this. It's it's be encouraged, take heart, right? That you know, the the experience that you've had of the Spirit, the taste of the gifts, all these things, right, that is just a foretaste. And if you hold on, again, the, the purpose is to encourage that you would hold on to the faith. If you hold on, well, you can expect that there's going to be so much better stuff to come, right? This is just the beginning. It's just the deposit, right? It's just it's just the the guarantee of a greater and glorious future if you hold on. And, and that's the heart, really. And that language is all over the Bible, this idea of if, right? This idea of if. Um, Paul himself uses it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain, right? If you don't hold on to it, then your belief right now is in vain. And there's lots of scriptures that talk about this. I think the the clearest um, passages are from the book of Hebrews, and that's because the entire book of Hebrews the purpose of it is to warn these Jewish believers, to warn them from forsaking Christ. And see, if you forsake Christ, then then the, all that awaits is an expectation of fiery judgment. That's the heart. And he goes through a number of things to say that, you know, Jesus is better than Moses. It's better than the old covenant. This revelation is better. It's the fulfillment. And he's warning them, don't go back to the old things that you were taught. Don't go back to the always. Don't go back to animal sacrifice. Don't go back to these things. Because if you do, then you're going to forfeit all the promises, and, and that's why there's these really clear passages in Hebrews. My, the, my favorite one is from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, and it says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, right? I think that is one of the most clear passages because it's clearly speaking to brothers and sisters. It's not speaking to unbelievers. And it's saying that you have to do this. You have to strengthen each other. You have to encourage one another so that you don't become hardened in sin, by sin's deceitfulness and so fall away from the faith, right? It's telling you you have to do this. Um, and, and the author of Hebrews is going to set up all of these, you know, uh, metaphors. One of the big ones that he uses is he takes the whole Exodus, right? The story of Israel, where Israel, you know, they were they were they were baptized through the Red Sea, right? All of Israel passed through the Red Sea, and he he says that that's a type of baptism where they were saved, right, from the Egyptian army. But then he says, then they they were tested in the wilderness. 
And he talks about how the wilderness was littered with the bodies of those who fell away, who lost faith, who stopped trusting, right? And because of that, that generation could not enter into the, into the promised land. And he uses this entire metaphor, and he says, in the same way, we should make every effort to enter into the Sabbath rest of God right? That we are in the time of testing. It's like this life is the wilderness and we're being tested. Our faith is being tested and we must pass the test so that we can enter in to the Sabbath rest of God, right? And I think that is a, is a, is a powerful metaphor and analogy um, for us to hold firmly to our faith. And that's, you know, there's, there's lots of other scriptures on this. First Timothy chapter 6 warns believers to refrain from the love of money, and it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In John chapter 15, Jesus warns believers that if they do not bear fruit, they will be cut off. It says in, in verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is, this is judgment language. He's warning his own disciples, right? He's warning his own disciples. Um... And in Romans, you know, I, I've, I once heard um, a seminary professor say that Romans chapter 8 is the strongest case that is, is impossible to lose your salvation, right? Because that's the chapter where Paul's saying, you know, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things future, right? It's impossible for us to be separated from the love of Christ, right? And he says that's the strongest evidence. Now, the problem with that interpretation is that if you just fast forward a couple chapters to Romans chapter 11, Paul is warning Gentile believers that if they grow arrogant towards the Jewish people, that they're going to be cut off. So in verse 21, it says, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So he's warning these Gentile believers that they can be cut off if they, if they become arrogant towards Israel. So it doesn't make any sense to interpret chapter 8 in such a way you know, that he's totally contradicting himself in chapter 11. Right? No. It's better to understand chapter 8 as being, you know, the start is, you know, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as long as we're in Christ Jesus, we have this great hope, right, that because we belong to him through faith, that we're going to inherit all these promises. And that's also the passage where that adoption language comes up, that we've been given the spirit of adoption. But he also says that we, we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. So the idea is that the Spirit has been given to us as a promise of a future adoption if we hold firm in the faith, right? So I think there's tons of biblical evidence on this. These are just, you know, a handful of scriptures that I picked out. But the whole point of this is that the scriptures are warning us, right? It's warning us. The heart is to warn us. Don't grow lax. Don't, you know... Don't walk circumspectly for the days are evil. The, the devil is roaring, right? Or is, is prowling like a lion seeking whom he may devour, right? It's this idea of don't grow lax in your vigilance. Understand that you are in a test, you are in a trial, you are under attack, and you have to fight. And I think that's my biggest problem with a lot of the, of the, the theology that tries to give us, you know, a confidence 
in our election that it's that it's impossible to lose it. I feel like it, it does the exact opposite. It makes us lax. It makes us go, well, you know, I'm I'm secure in salvation. I don't need to worry about that. And and so what happens is we open up ourselves right to becoming um, vulnerable to these various attacks. Okay. And just as a last word, I'll say that um, I I don't think you know, that that understanding should lead us to a place where you have to live in constant fear of God's rejection or punishment, right? John says, um, the one who fears has not been perfected in love because fear has to do with punishment, right? So I don't live with a constant fear that I'm going to fall away or that, you know, like God's going to reject me or something like that. No, you don't have to live in constant fear. I know it's possible if I allow myself right, to grow hardened by sin's deceitfulness, I can come to a place where I reject Christ, I don't want him anymore, but I don't live in a constant fear of that, right, that's what the fear of the Lord, it's like, um, I, I relate it to, you know, if you're driving on the highway, you know, you should stay within the lines, right, you should not venture into the other lane, right, because if you do, you know, there's a very good chance you could cause an accident if you're not careful to stay in the lines, but staying in the lines is not, like, too hard, Right? It's not like, oh, it's so hard to stand. I'm not living in constant fear that I'm going to wander outside the lane right? that I'm in. Why? Because it's, it's not too hard. I can do it. There's, you know, And in the same way, I think that's the mentality we should have. We can do it. right? God will give us grace to stay in the faith, right? but we should have a fear and understanding, a holy fear, that knowing that if we were to get outside of the, our lane, it could be really dangerous. And that's the same idea. Why would we ever consider leaving Christ? Why would we ever consider wandering from the faith, right? Why? That, that would be the height of foolishness, right? Because then all we have to expect is fiery judgment. No, I would never even consider that, right? But I'm not living in a constant fear that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my salvation or something like that. Wow, that was really good. <laughs> um, I believe that there's also a verse... Um, in the Bible that talks about how, you know, the reason why we are saved is so that we would bear fruit for um, for the kingdom and for Jesus. And so uh, just kind of going off of what Pastor Dennis was saying, like, you know, we're not just saved so that we can have salvation and things like that and then kind of grow like a complacent spirit. Um, but it's so that we can bear fruit every single day. It's, it's so that we would, because um, in our bearing fruit, we prove to be his disciples. And so I thought that was really awesome. Um, thank you, Pastor Dennis, because I'm sure a lot of people have these questions. The question comes up with like, well, how do we lose it? Um, would you like to, you know, shine a little bit more on like, what what does that like actually look like? Because I, I think for most people, they don't have like a paradigm of, well, when do people lose salvation? Or, or is there a process? Or is it just kind of like a one-time thing? Yeah, I'll I'll try and do this relatively short. Look, I've I've known many people that have had strong faith and then have fallen away from the faith that no longer follow Jesus. Okay, I know lots of people, and you know I I think there's different reasons why, but there's a basic there's a basic theme here, right? That we can be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We can be hardened by it, and one of the most common ways is through unforgiveness. When when somebody gets hurt. The, the biblical obligation is we must forgive. Why? Because we have been forgiven by the Father for all of our sins, 
right? So we have an obligation to forgive those who have sinned against us from God. And if we rebel against that obligation, we say, no, I refuse to forgive. That's one of the most common ways that people become hardened in their sinfulness, right? Um, The other way is that we practice sin, right? We practice sin. When we start to practice sin, our hearts grow hardened against God. I've seen that happen with people who, you know, like maybe you're, you're dating your girlfriend, you guys start to fall into sexual temptation, and you start to get convicted, and you're like, man, I, we've got to stop this. But you continue in it. You don't break up, or you don't get accountability. You don't confess it. And what happens is your, your heart gets hardened by sin's deceitfulness, and you find your love for God growing colder and colder and colder, and pretty soon you feel judged by other people, and what, what that's, that's just demonic oppression and then you leave the faith i've seen that happen many times i've seen you know um i've seen people you know they who just take too much confidence oh i prayed the prayer and so i don't need to seek the kingdom first right like you know i'm i'm saved i'm good everything's good and so they don't live in a way that puts the kingdom first that's so dangerous for you spiritually right because that's a command Right? We have to put the kingdom first. Right, We have to have Jesus as our highest priority. But some of the, the theologists out there, it's like, well, as long as you pray this prayer and believe that he, he loved you and died for your sins, well, then you're good to go. No, I, I think that's a total misunderstanding. No, if Jesus is the Lord of our lives, we swear allegiance to him, we make him the highest priority. What I always tell people is idolatry is the thing that kills people's faith. When you have an idol in your life, something that's more important to you, they have greater allegiance to you, that you trust in more than Jesus, that becomes an idol in your life. And that absolutely is how lots of people um, fall away from faith. They trust in something other than Jesus, and, um, and their love for him grows cold in their hearts. Yeah, and so I think we would do right in um, taking the warnings in Scripture about falling away very seriously instead of glossing it over um, or... Or things like that. And so hopefully through this podcast and through this question, um, you know, you were able to come to a, a better understanding of really what the Bible does say about falling away. Because um, the truth is even Apostle Paul had disciples who did fall away. Um, and it's it's a sad thing. We don't say this lightheartedly. Um, but, you know, for you who are listening, be encouraged, right? Um, it's not like you can follow, you can be saved one day and legit like just fall away the next day um god is faithful even when we're faithless um but you know this this constant practice like pd was saying practice of sin hardening of heart um choosing not to remain obedient to god's commandments um, i think it does produce a hard heart and it produces unbelief and faithlessness to a point where um, there comes a time where you know god really tests you and you might be cut off and so but take heart, you know, if you're listening to this, I'm pretty sure you're, you're saved. And so just keep remaining faithful um, and keep living your life with Jesus and keep him as your number one priority. You'll be okay. So that was today's uh, question. It went a little long, but I think it's because a lot of people, um, you know, have a lot of questions con- regarding this issue in particular. And we hope that, you know, you'll be able to understand this point of view. And so uh, you can join us next time. Um, If you have more questions, please send it in to burningtreetkc at gmail.com. We would love to hear your questions and answer them as soon as we can. And so I'm your host, Nick King, and we'll see you next time.